At this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Obadiah, the Old Testament book of Obadiah. You will find it on page 1,433 in your pew Bibles, page 1,433. We will read the entire book of Obadiah. Don't worry, it's only 21 verses. The shortest book of the Old Testament, Obadiah means servant of Jehovah. We will discuss that as we ponder the passage before us this evening. Before we read, let us ask that the Lord would bless our time of contemplation this evening. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before your throne once again in this time of worship to read the word that you would have us to learn this evening, Lord, we ask that you be with your servant. May he speak the truth that you would have him speak. Be with your people that they would have, that they would have ears to hear what you would say to them. And Lord, may we have hearts that we may go from this place to be your people in your world, holding out the word of life to those walking in darkness. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord as it comes from the book of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks. And make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All of your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. But you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will not destroy the wise men of Eden, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau, your warriors, O Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. 
Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and minds this evening. One of the things I know I talked about in my lessons of the adult Sunday school was that the prelude was part of our worship, but also that we should think about our Saturday nights as worship as well, or a preparation for worship. It's really hard to be at church when you can't keep your eyes open because you spent too much time staring at a screen the night before, or being with friends out early in the morning. I say that to preface this because last night I was able to watch with a group of friends a movie. And as I'm listening to this movie, I thought, oh, this is exactly what we're talking about tomorrow night. (laughs) The movie I speak of is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And Aragorn, the lost king, the lost of the line of Isildur, finally comes to his own at the end of the movie. And I know it's spoilers, but it's been out for about 15 years, so if you haven't seen it now, I'm still going to spoil it for you. But at the end of the movie, when they're finally at the point where the armies of Mordor, the orcs that have been banging at the gates of the city of men, Minas Tirith, when they've finally been defeated... And it seems like all is finally swinging in the right direction. They count their losses. And they realize we still don't have enough strength to finally stop the armies of the evil Sauron. But Aragorn realizes, ah... But if this little hobbit with the ring can get to Mount Doom and destroy the one ring, we will win. His power will be defeated. But how, we know he's on his way there, but how in the world can we turn Sauron's attention away from him? How in the world 
Can we draw the armies of Mordor away to give Frodo safe passage to the goal, to the end? He says, let's muster all of our strength and march on the black gates of Mordor. And at that black gate, he rides forth from the company of men brought from all over the western lands of Middle-earth and declares, let the Lord of the black gate come forth that justice be done upon him. And I thought to myself upon hearing that, what does he mean by that? That justice be done upon him. Isn't that the question that we ask ourselves in our culture this morning? We have many cries from many areas of justice, 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 justice for the people of Ukraine, justice for the people that are oppressed, justice for former slaves in our own country. No, it was not even two years ago where we had riots about a lack of justice in our country. That the justice system was corrupt against people of a certain skin color. The system was against them and they wanted justice. Tonight as we read from the book of Obadiah, we read about the Lord's pronunciation and definition of justice. Quite simply, our theme this evening is God will destroy those who commit sin and protect, and he will protect his covenant people on the day of the Lord when all things come to fruition. God will destroy those who commit sin as, en as his enemies and pr protect his covenant people on the day of the Lord when all things come to fruition. And the book of Obadiah does this in three specific points. First, Edom's demise. Second, the reason for their judgment, namely their sin. And then finally, we will discuss Israel as the covenant people that are be protected and given justice on the day of the Lord. So first, Edom's demise. Now, when we look at the book of Obadiah, we see the name Obadiah and we kind of think to ourselves, where was another Obadiah? Who could have written this? What kind of area are we putting this in? Well, the only other Obadiah that I can even find in Scripture was Obadiah, the faithful advisor under the evil king Ahab. And he hid a hundred prophets, fifty in each cave, against the will of his king and supplied them with food and water so that they would survive even though they were, even though they were prophets of the Lord in a land ruled by Ahab and Jezebel. But that is not, and I believe I can say this with confidence, that is not the writer of our book this evening. Now, when we look at the context of what Obadiah is writing about, 
he speaks of the destruction of Israel, the diaspora of Israel and Judah into the surrounding nations. We are speaking hundreds of years after Ahab and Jezebel. When the sin of Israel was so great that Assyria comes down and wipes the ten tribes off the face of the earth. And then when Babylon comes through after Assyria, collects up all the people of Jerusalem and then scatters them across their empire in a great metropolitan phase. And yet, what happens when you go to your brother and expect help and he does nothing but help the enemy? That is the pronouncement of the Lord. This description of the destruction that is listed here in Obadiah has three primary points to it. In verse 2 through 4, we have this proclamation of destruction that God gives. He says, I will, make you a sm- I will make you small among the nations, and you will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who in- live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground, though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. The proclamation that is given is complete and authoritative. The language used here in the Hebrew is not that this is something that may happen or shall happen. The pronouncement here, this will occur without delay. Edom, the territory of Esau's descendants, the brother of Jacob, the one who was called in his covenant name Israel. We see here that this proclamation, this declaring by the Lord, is not something that Esau can really get out of. And in fact, in his pride, he deceives himself to say that this cannot occur. The second portion in this description and destruction is that it is absolutely total and complete. The Lord discusses this destruction in a couple of different ways. He talks about thieves, robbers, and harvesters, or grape pickers. The first thing he talks about is if thieves came to you, if robbers came in the night, oh, what disaster awaits for you, would they not steal only as much as they wanted? He says, people of of Esau, people of Edom, if your house was broken into and you had no clue, what do you think they would take? Well, they would take all that they wanted. Your TV, gone. Your video games, gone. Your computer, gone. Your jewelry, gone. Cell phone. Maybe identification documents. 
Anything that could be perceived as anything of value, gone in a heartbeat. And he takes one step further. He even says, if grape pickers came to you, if you owned a vineyard and grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? Well, absolutely. What would they leave? They'd leave the rotted ones. They'd leave the musty ones. They'd leave the underripe ones, the stuff that they didn't want. But in verse 6, he says, oh, no, no, no. It's worse than that. It's not just things of value. It's not even just leaving behind that which is worthless. No, this destruction is total. Even your hidden treasures will be pillaged. You will be ransacked. Even the worthless things will be gone. Even the things that you think have no value whatsoever will be wiped from your national borders. And it's not only your valuables, but it's also your national identity. In verse 7, he says, all your allies will force you to the border. All of those that you made treaties with are going to come up and force you to actually put troops on that border. They're about to come against you militarily. Your friends will deceive and overpower you, and those who eat your bread, those who you give humanitarian aid to, or those that you give an a amount of tribute to, they don't care. They're going to set a trap for you. You will be destroyed in toto. And to make it even worse, you will have no clue. Verse 7 says you will not detect it. Imagine, and I don't really have to imagine too far, I had brothers and sisters myself, but imagine you were out either riding your bike or out in the, in the yard and you're running around and what you didn't notice is that your brother or sister had dug a hole in the backyard and thrown a bunch of grass over the top so it would look like it was just part of the yard. And then as you're running, you hit that hole as hard as you can and you end up rolling your ankle. You never see it coming. And so you never anticipate it. You think your national strength is so great, Edom. Your warriors are so wonderful. You hide yourselves in the mountains and you have such difficult terrain to conquer. And it's just your location that makes you safe. You have no clue. Even the things you have hidden away, you think that those are safe? <laughs> you have no idea the amount and the level of destruction coming for you. Let's 
put this way in a commentary. These three oracles build toward a climax with the plunder of riches, the loss of wisdom and understanding, and a loss of military capability. The very structures of society and its constituent elements of economic well-being, wise rule, and military security through armed force and international treaty will topple. If you want to know what it's like to be on the wrong side of God, it's oblivion. That is what Obadiah pronounces to Edom. And he puts it in this way as well. It's not even just military things because he does say it in 8 and 9, but it even goes one step further than that. There is a shame that is attached to this. There is a shame in this loss of identity. You who put your faith in warriors, in chariots, it will be gone. You who put your understanding and your identity in socioeconomic gains, it will be gone. Those who put their trust and hope in the idea of national diplomacy and friendship, And wonders. And the declaration of the Lord will wipe it off the face of the earth with no problem. That is the totality of the destruction that God pronounces on Edom. And he does this for various reasons. Beginning in verse Ten specifically. He lists three primary things as the reasons why this destruction is so total. In verse 10, he says, one, it is the violence against your brother Jacob. You who are called to be a brother. You who are called as one of the two, the sons of Isaac. You loved your brother back when you were Esau. And yet, instead of showing that brotherly love, You do the complete opposite. You show violence. This is the oldest sin in the book. It stems all the way from Genesis 4. 
the first reason why Edom will be destroyed so totally is because they commit the sin of Cain. Violence upon their brother. Ezekiel 25 was written very similarly or in a very similar time period to this. And Ezekiel puts it this way. In chapter 25, 12 through 14, he says, Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and is grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate. From Taman even to Dedan, they shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. And they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. If you want a picture of what awaits the enemies of God. Turn no further than the book of Obadiah. The vengeance and wrath of God will be poured out in its totality against the enemies of God because their sin is so great. Not only was it violence against Jacob, not only was it violence against Israel, but the second reason was the apathy they had to their destruction. In verse 11, the writer of Obadiah puts it, on, this day, on the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You who should have protected your brother. You who should have been the first to accept refugees into your country. You who are the one that is literally a blood brother to this country. He said, I don't care. I don't care what happens to this covenant people. You stood aloof while your brother was robbed. You cared nothing when foreigners walked into the holy places and carried off the things of God. And in fact, you were like one of them. And that is the third part here. Beginning in the last part of verse 11, going through verse 14. I spelled that wrong, hang on.
you showed treachery to your brother. Verse 12 says, you should not look down on your brother in the day of misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march to the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Not only did you do violence against your brother, not only did you not care when other people were doing violence, but you helped them. And not only did you help them, you appeared as a brother on the horizon. And like a wolf in sheep's clothing, you stabbed him in the back. Your treachery is unforgivable. We have a little glimpse of this in Psalm chapter 41, where it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Matthews, Chevalis, and Walton in their commentary put it this way Edom broke treaties with Israel. Edom here is accursed here because of a total breach in these agreements. Refugees have been forced back to their own borders without any relief. Non-aggression clauses by covenant partners have been violated. And hospitality customs in which eating a meal together is the basis for peace agreements, as seen in Psalm 41. And phrases in Mari and El Amarna texts referring to covenant meals have been completely and utterly ignored. You broke bread with your brother. And on the other hand, you stabbed him in the back. Edom, this is your justice now. You will be destroyed. It's hard for many, especially in a pastoral profession, to preach a sermon where you see a glimpse of no hope for a people. And yet, that is the great difficulty when you preach the gospel, is that we know there are people that are not saved. It is a limited atonement. But we also know that these decisions that were made by them, their violence against their brothers, their apathy towards those that they should have a care for, and the treachery for those in the church, that these are completely logical actions for them. They see nothing wrong with their actions because their morality is so blind. 
Their ethics are so skewed. Their understanding of the world is so warped that they have traded the truth for a lie. People of God, it's difficult to preach judgment because we want to welcome everyone with open arms, but at the same time, if we don't preach justice and judgment, then we have a God who does not look upon sin rightly. And our God is a righteous God who punishes the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate him. And yes, I quote from the Ten Commandments because that is the same God that we have today. The God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. The God that Obadiah here declares the total and complete destruction of an entire country is still the God that we worship today because he overflows borders with the gospel and reaches out his hand to those around him that wishes that none should be lost. If you hear this, and you are unsure if you are an enemy of God, may this snap you back to your senses. May this here be the wake-up call that may even shock you back into your understanding that I need a Savior. I may not have punched my brother in the face. I may not have cared when other people were beating him, and I may not have stabbed him in the back, but I'm sure we have not always treated our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our acquaintances, our business partners, as fairly as they ought to be treated. The great wrath of God is something that should be taken seriously. When Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel talk about the fear of the Lord, when we hear about it in Proverbs and in Psalms, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, there is two aspects to that fear. There is a respect aspect, but there is also a terror aspect. Because when the full might and wrath of God is finally released into this world, there is nothing that can stop it. The destruction is total and it is deserved. And when does this come to pass? And this is one of the phrases that we find throughout all of the Old Testament. And it is where the title for this sermon takes its name. It happens upon the day of the Lord.
Edom will be wiped away from the face of the earth. Everything that it consists of, its military might, its socioeconomic power, its diplomatic standing, will all be washed from the earth. And in fact, there is no country of Edom even today in this world. But in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head, just as you drank on my holy hill. So all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink as if they had never been. I love how this is translated. There's a a more variant translation of this. It's not quite as literal, but it says, All the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and drink as they had always been thirsty and continue to thirst. You who filled yourself with joy upon a hill that was supposed to be used for worship, Edom, you will be conquered in such a manner that your enemies will drink and drink and drink and drink in joy. And in the day of the Lord, when the armies of the Lord come through, there will be a wedding feast that will drink and drink and drink because they will be filled with the joy of the Lord. There are four primary points here as Israel is established. The first is in verse 17 where he states that the preservation of Israel is as his covenant people. He states on Mount Zion there will be deliverance, it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. Israel is not forgotten. Even in the diaspora, even in the exile, even in the part of history in which the nation state of Israel no longer exists, there is still the people of God. There is a preservation. And on Mount Zion, the holy hill, there will be deliverance. It will be a deliverance that is holy, it is set apart. It is not a deliverance that a nation can give to another. It is not a deliverance in which maybe like 1945 where the United Nations comes together and says, okay, we're going to carve out a little piece and it's going to be Israel. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is that the Lord is giving deliverance. And this deliverance is set apart. It is a preservation It is something that has never been seen before and never will be seen again on the earth. When the day of the Lord finally comes, there will be peace. And the covenant people of God will have its deliverance. And it will have its inheritance. They will be 
people of God in the place of God. Joel speaks of it this way, written about the same time as Obadiah in chapter 2. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Edom and the people that are against the Lord will be destroyed as judgment upon that day of justice. As James 4 puts it, the pride comes before the fall. But he gives more grace. Therefore it said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Edom and their pride stood against the covenant people of Israel. And maybe for their own self-preservation. Decided that they needed to take a side that was against their brother. Proverbs 16, 18 puts it this way. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Edom, you thought yourself better. You thought yourself better than your brother. And now look at the justice being done upon you. Finally,
We see in verse 21 that deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The language here is that Israel will be reestablished. The covenant people will once again come into their inheritance that they have been called to. That the land flowing with milk and honey is not something that is willy-nilly distributed by God to various times and people, but rather in his consistency and in his unchanging and unfailing love says, here I establish my deliverer. Many have attempted to translate this as those who came out to establish the nation of Israel in 1945. I disagree with that. I think the deliverers that go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau speaks of one particular person. Jesus Christ, who was hung on a tree near Mount Zion who died on a cross for you and for me, is now King of kings and Lord of lords. And he who is a king of a kingdom that is not of this world rules over the mountains of Esau. And his kingdom is the Lord's. Psalm 2 puts it this way. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king up on Zion. My holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. People of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the great message of the gospel is that we deserve that wrath. We deserve that destruction. We deserve the pit of everlasting fire and hell. But so great was the love of God that he sent his son down to die for us. That's what Psalm 2 talks about here. That's what the day of the Lord is in Obadiah. That's where the deliverers are. The deliverance is for you and for me. For Jesus Christ came in the flesh and dwelt among men to pay the penalty, but to rise again as the first fruits. That is the message here that God speaks to us this evening. 
that justice will be done. That justice has been done. That the declaration of the Lord is final. But how great are those who have hope in Jesus Christ to escape the coming wrath of God being poured upon the world. People of God, this should lead us to one conclusion and one only. Have your neighbors heard about Christ? Have they had the opportunity to hear about the coming destruction? And do they know that there is a Savior whose deliverance was on Mount Zion? The gospel should lead us to evangelism so that this here That this destruction, this demise, is not filled up to its full measure. But rather this here. The covenant people of God should be filled to overflowing. That we may see in the sea and the multitudes. That we should have with our loved ones. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we shall sing a new song. That is the message here. And that is the message to us tonight. Praise be to the Lord. May he seal it to our hearts and minds. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we hear the words from your servant Obadiah, may we be challenged to share the judgment of God with those around us and to provide the gospel to say that there is a way that your sins can be cleansed, that the wrath of God is not just an inevitability, that you don't just stand aloof, but rather that you see it and you hear the gospel. And that they may take hold of the raft that is here to save. Lord, we ask that you would guide us upon our week. That we may live according to what you would have us do. That in our interactions that people would see Christ. And that above all, you would be glorified in our lives. So that we may hear, well done good and faithful servant. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen.